I wrote 10,000 songs I wrote 10,000 crappy songs Yeah, I wrote 10,000 crappy songs But now I'm a detective Ten Thousand Crappy Songs, Episode Six, Twenty-Four. I staggered out into the still bright sunshine. This town knocked you to your knees and pounded you with sunlight. In my songwriting days, I would have used these latest developments as an opportunity to get depressed. But that was then. As a detective, you cannot get all droopy. Even when the chips are down, you keep moving forward. You continue to detect. I did the only thing I could do under such circumstances. I took a little walk and hummed and had a good talk with myself. I was in over my head. Una Shu had disappeared. Hal Shu had disappeared. Now, one cock had disappeared. I wasn't likely to find them together wrapped up neatly in a box. I had no leads. This was serious. This was the real deal. I was baffled. I was out of my league. I had no recourse. I had to go to the police. I'm gonna go make myself a 25. I don't imagine detectives ever really want to go to the police. In the Sam Spade movies, Humphrey Bogart looks at the police as a pain in the rear. They're never much help, and mostly they just get in the way. Philip Marlowe would tell the cops anything just so they'd leave him alone. Here, sniff some false leads. But I was worried about Una. I thought of how she'd looked sitting in the beanbag chair, looking around for my British receptionist. I thought of the song we wrote together. I didn't want something bad to happen to her. So I rang the police. Just a minute, said the receptionist. I wonder if she was real. Probably. Yeah, said a voice. It was Sergeant Melnick. I knew him a little. If you're a detective for any length of time, you know a few cops. You just do. I think I need to come see you, I said. You still a detective? He said. I think he was being sarcastic. It didn't bother me. I'm a detective. We check our egos at the door. Yep, I said. Congratulations, he said. What mess are you in now? Hey now, I said. We're all on the same team. Right, he said. Whatever. He sounded like Una. I got half an hour this afternoon, he said. Two o'clock. Meet me at Bessentessen. Bessen... Bessentessen, he said. The delicatessen version of the Bessen Burger. They make your donut right there when you order it. It's the best donut in town. As good as Wancock's cookie, I said. I don't think Wancock has such a great cookie. I don't either, I said. Bessen... Bessentessen, 9th and Broadway. I only got till 2.35. <laughs> 26. Sergeant Melnick wasn't kidding. Bess and Tessin had one fine donut. It was warm and full of yellow goo. The sort of donut you ate with a knife and fork. 
In a French joint, they'd call it a tort and get eight bucks. At three bucks, it was still not a cheap donut, but when you ate the best intestine donut, believe me, you weren't thinking about the price. With all that, I wasn't there for the donut. Melnick knew it. Okay, he said, leaning back. What's up? I'm not sure where to start, I said. You must have fouled things up pretty bad, he said, if you stooped to calling me. I was going to make a sharp retort, but I had sort of fouled things up. I told him about Una Shu, that she'd hired me to tailor father, and that her father was Hal Shu, the guy who had tried to build a ladder to a cloud. He succeeded, by the way, until the wind blew. I told Sergeant Melnick that Hal Shu was working with the Chinese government and would go to jail if the United States got wind of it or could be killed by a Chinese breakaway group and how Una Shu had disappeared and Hal Shu and one cock. Well, said Melnick, we've been watching Hal Shu for a while. You have? Why? We don't know a lot about Hao Shu, but we know enough to know that he's someone we should watch. He once embedded himself in a cube of jello six feet wide. He had to eat his way out, I said. Melnick stared. That's the kind of guy we keep an eye on. What have you found out? He travels a lot. Likes to go to Mexico and back. It's not illegal exactly, but come on. We've wanted to pick him up on something for a while. Guess now we've got a reason. What are they going to do to him? Will he go to jail? For what? said Melnick. Well, for deceiving the U.S. government. By doing what? Making a deal with the Chinese, I said. Melnick laughed. That's not illegal. That happens every day. Melnick said some more. But I didn't hear him. Hal Shu had tricked me, led me off the trail. But why? I didn't take it personally. As a songwriter, you take everything personally. But as a detective, you take nothing personally. Park your ego in the lot. Still, I had established a bond with Hal Shu. We'd had lunch. I wrote him a song. So, he didn't trust me. Big deal. Melnick finished his donut and said he'd be in touch. Left me his card. Lucky me. 27. The next afternoon, the space shuttle soared over and touched down at the airport. People looked up and pointed and said, The space shuttle. Millions of people saw it. It was all anyone talked about. As a detective, you must think like a criminal. And so I thought, a supreme moment to be a pickpocket. Hal Shu, as it turned out, was thinking the same thing. Around dinner time, I got a call from Sergeant Melnick. Go on down, said Melnick. We found Hal Shu. Alive? He's alive. And he's got the Chinese guy with him. Wan Kok? He's not Wan Kok, said Melnick. He's Mr. Kok, 
No one's Wancock. Yeah, yeah. I drove downtown to the precinct station. Melnick was waiting for me. We picked up Hal Shu at the border. Tijuana. And? He was accompanied by Mr. Cock. We did a search on the vehicle. Melnick was enjoying this. And? I said. Fireworks, said Melnick. And switchblades. Huh? Fireworks and switchblades. They're illegal, as you may know. But, I said, why would Hal Shu and Wancock be smuggling fireworks and switchblades from Mexico into the U.S.? Melnick shrugged. Money? Same as anything else. Everyone's just trying to make a buck. Can I see him? I said. Melnick shrugged again. Sure. I guess you kind of led us to him. Kind of, I said. Like, completely. Melnick laughed. Okay, detective. Suit yourself. What's gonna happen to him? I said. Melnick tilted his head. Well, it's not exactly smuggling heroin. There were an awful lot of fireworks and switchblades, though. He squinted. Six months? A year? That's not so bad. It's not how you'd want to spend the next six to twelve months, said Melnick. But it's not so bad. So you found Hal Shu, I said. What about Una? Well, we still don't know, he said. He motioned for me to follow him. He led me through a hallway and stopped in front of a little cell. There sat Hal Shu. Melnick turned a key and let me step in. You gonna be okay in here? Melnick asked. I'm not sure who he was talking to, actually, but I said, yeah, fine. There was an empty chair next to Hal Shu. I sat down. Hal Shu looked at me. So you ran to the cops? Told them everything? Sorry, I said. Everyone kept disappearing. It was too much. He looked at me sharply, then shrugged. Ah, uh, never mind. Couldn't keep this up forever. Why did you tell me the story about the balloon and Chinese airspace and all of that? I had to tell you something, said Haoshu. Otherwise I figured you would just go and blab to the police. Which you did. Anything new about Una, I said. Nothing, said Haoshu. I'm worried about her. We sat in silence. Well, I said, I guess the Chinese splinter group probably didn't kidnap her. No, probably not, said Halshu. Or the U.S. government. Probably not. Melnick lumbered into view. Okay, fellas, that's a wrap, he said cheerily. I left Halshu's jail cell and walked back toward the front. As I made my way out, Melnick said, You want to see Juan Cock, too? Nah, I said. In one way, it was a relief that the cops had Hal Shu. In his cell downtown, he couldn't run off anywhere for a while. Nor was I worried about Una having been kidnapped by some Chinese fringe group eager for revenge against Hal Shu for taking Chinese airspace. Now that I thought about it, the balloon idea sounded pretty crazy. 
Still, no crazier than some of Halshu's other stunts. The other news was that, while Halshu may have been a smuggler, it did not seem likely that he had another family stashed away. That should calm Una. If she was alive. Ten Thousand Crappy Songs is brought to you by One Joke Too Many. Because sometimes one joke just isn't enough. This episode written and voiced by Dan Burns. Produced by Dan Byrne and Will Massasak. Songs by Dan Byrne. The show's theme music and score written by Will Massasak and Dan Byrne. If you like the show, there's no mystery as to what to do. Just visit us at danburn.com, look for the donate button, and donate. Thanks. Tune in next time for another edition of 10,000 Crappy Songs. Yeah.